0: Well, it is good to uh, be able to bring God's word to you this morning. If you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at John chapter 9 this morning. And it will be a little different than normal. Our typical routine is to read the entire passage and then go through it. Uh, Because of the length of the passage, I'm actually going to read sections... And then we'll discuss, read some more, and think some more about it. So uh, don't be thrown off. And if you don't know me, uh, as Pastor Davis said, um, I am one of the pastors here. And uh, I don't do this often, but it is uh, a big weight, responsibility, but at the same time a joy to be able to bring God's word. So let's go to him now in prayer. Father, we come to you now. And I ask that you'd be with us as we read your word. May everything that is said even now be directly from you. Help us to hear your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see the truth of Christ today in it. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, can you imagine losing your sight How hard would that be? How much more difficult would your life be? You couldn't drive yourself to work. Uh, Eating would be much more difficult. You wouldn't be able to see the beauty of flowers blooming in the spring or leaves changing their color in the fall. You wouldn't be able to see your children or grandchildren's faces anymore or your spouse's face anymore. And as bad as that sounds, imagine never having seen anything because you were born blind. Right? Imagine how much different your relationships with friends and family would be. How hard it would even just be to have a conversation to be able to describe something that you've never seen but you've only felt or smelt. How different life would be. Your entire world would be different than those who are around you, but what if you were given sight, how would you respond, that's where we find ourselves today, with this man born blind in John chapter 9, this passage is so packed with truth, that I I really wanted to spend three or four sermons in it, because there's so much here, but I can't. which you're probably thinking, oh man, I wish you really would, so we're not here all day, all right? We won't be here all day, I promise. With one exception, I'm going to stick as close to possible as the main point, to the main point of this passage, but there is one spot in our first point that we will look at that I do have to do, just a little sidebar to help us think uh, rightly, and I trust the Lord will help us with that. So the central truth to this passage, to this Text we're going to read is that we should believe that Jesus is the light of the world who gives sight to the spiritually blind. That Jesus is the light of the world who gives sight to the spiritually blind. And we'll see this in three parts. So the first is the result of the light. Second, we'll see three responses to the light. And then our third is you could actually say it's a fourth response, but I wanted to separate it from the other three, and that is that we should receive the light. So let's look now at our first point to re- re- the result of the light, and let's read verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Jesus answered, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So this man who is in darkness, right, he's blind. The disciples and Jesus are passing by him as they're walking in Jerusalem. And the disciples ask about this man and his blindness. They want to know, well, what's the cause, Jesus, or rather, who caused this man's blindness? Was it him or was it his parents, that he was born blind. They're assuming already in the question that it is sin that has caused his blindness. So they want to know who's at fault. And at this point, this is kind of where we're going to pause and think just a little bit, because we want to know, well, what's the result of this? The Bible does, in fact, talk often about sickness being attributed to, As a result of sin to us. Right? In the Old Testament, even just think about Genesis chapter 3. Sickness and death enter the world as a result of sin. Or Psalm 107 and and Psalm 38 say, There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Micah 6.13 says, So also I I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sin. Or even... It's been months ago now, but when I preach John chapter 5, Jesus, talking to the lame man, says, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. 1 Corinthians 11.30, right? Jesus, or or Paul's writing them a letter saying, some of you are sick, even unto death, because you've taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Or you may even recall Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira sold some land, gave the money, and said, this is all that we have sold the land for, and they lied. And then they died. But Jesus' response here, it actually should comfort us. In verse 3, he says, It was not this man that sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is good news, because Jesus is saying that not all suffering is a result of sin. Some, some sickness, maybe, but not all sin or suffering is related to your sin. Suffering is much more complex than just to say someone's direct personal sin is a result of this direct sickness. We can't point to that always. So that's good news for us, right? You could even read the book of Job. It's a masterclass in teaching us. Personal suffering is not always a result of personal sin. So when we suffer as a believer, even when we don't know why it has come to us, we must cling to the truth that our God is in fact good. That he in fact does know why and there is in fact a purpose to it. Just think about Romans 8.28. For all those who love God, all things work together their good. So what if your good is not the removal of your suffering? What if, in fact, your good is that you would seek the one who has allowed it in your life? What if that suffering presses you close into the heart of Christ? That in your suffering, you would also seek the one who suffered in your place. So this is a good thing for us. That if suffering is in our life, it ought to even refine us into the image of God. You don't have to love suffering. You don't even have to welcome suffering. But in it, we must lean on, trust in our great and good God. He's also with us in our suffering. You even see in John 11, just two chapters after the one we're reading now that the close friend of Jesus, Lazarus, dies. Jesus, in fact, weeps, but even in his sorrow, he says his death is for the glory of God. And so we have to ask our questions, well, what's the purpose in this man's blindness? And Jesus is very clear. It's to display the works, to display the glory of God. So whose sin caused this man's blindness? Jesus says, well, sin didn't cause this necessarily the purpose is that god's works may be on display for all who see this man and even notice at this point jesus hasn't promised healing to him he simply stated that the purpose of his blindness is to display god's work in his life so god can't or can't god display glory through sickness Not necessarily by healing. Can't God display his glory through drawing you near to him in sickness? And can't God display his glory through sickness by giving you trust in him? A trust that is so deep that even like the trees coming upon the winds this past week, that you aren't knocked over because your roots, your faith is so deep in Christ that you will not be shaken. And I know this is true of so many of you in our church, in fact, are suffering with cancer and other sickness and other things in your life that come against you. And I hear some of you even talk about how you tell the doctors, well, I pray for a miracle or through medication that I would be healed. But either way, whether I'm healed or not, my faith is still in Christ. Because your lives testify to it. Your words speak of your great hope in Christ. And so do not be fooled. Your faith in the midst of suffering and difficulty is not wasted. Your faith in the midst of suffering displays the work of God in you. Your faith through suffering glorifies Christ and this man even, who is blind, will display the glory of Christ. But notice there's an urgency with which Jesus speaks. Verse 4. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. While While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me. We must be about the work for which Jesus says, I must be about the work of my Father, the one who sent me. That is to bring salvation, to tell everyone about me. There's urgency, right? It says that we're to work while it's day. This day is a reference to the brief time until Christ will be crucified. And this brief time that he will remain with them. And this night is a reference to when Jesus is taken away physically from his disciples, even... When his crucifixion comes, darkness will overtake them. They'll be unable to work until they're given the Holy Spirit. But notice there's also an invitation to do the works of God. It says, we, Jesus says, we must work. So what are these good works that you and I are to be involved in? That... They could be works of mercy, ministering to those amongst us who are suffering or those around us who are suffering. It could be works of stewardship where we manage and spend the money that God has given to us wisely. It could be works of evangelism, sharing Christ with those around us. It can be works of service, doing good to others. And at this point, I even just want to pause for a second and say six, seven weeks ago, uh, we're planning, how do we get back to Sunday school? What's this look like? And we're, we're needing to add children's classes. And, and so many of you said, hey, I'm willing to do whatever I can to help this church, to teach our kids. And adults We're flexible with classes and saying, we really love our class and want to be just our class. But we are willing also, if need be, to, to meet with others so that we can meet together. And so I just want to say thank you for everyone's uh, willingness to step up, to teach our kids. It's a blessing, even as one of your pastors, to know that this church, it's not resting only on the elders, but it's you ministering to one another, doing good works for one another. But I also do know that there are some, perhaps, members that aren't serving. And so maybe you would even hear these words, we must do the works of God. It would be an encouragement to you to serve your church, because serving the church, it's not like playing a sport where you've got the first string and second string, and second string gets the call from the coach to get off the bench when someone's tired or hurt. The church maybe is more like being in battle where every person has a responsibility. Every person has a role. Maybe not everybody's on the front lines, but Every role and every person is important to the mission, to the work of God. And so Jesus calls his disciples to work with an urgency. He's all about the work of God. And let's read on verses 6 and 7 as we see the result of the light. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So, so sight, it's often used in the Bible as imagery, communicating more than just physical sight. And that's where Jesus is going with this. But the very first phrase in verse 6 says, having said these things. Right, everything that Jesus has said is leading up to this point. The healing of this blind man, everything is precisely to teach that Jesus is the light of the world. And so, why does he use mud? Of all the things that he could do to heal this man, could he not just speak and the man be healed? Well, yes, he could. Could he not just touch him and the man be healed? Yes, he could. But instead, he uses mud made from spit, something that comes from his mouth, which I think should remind us of Genesis 2, when God creates man from the dust of the earth and breathes life into him. This is a similar creation here where God is creating him new, giving him eyes to see, awakening him spiritually. And then verse 7 says, So he went and washed and came back seeing. So this man, right, it must have been a walk of faith because Up to this point, Jesus has not said, you will be healed. He just puts mud on his his face or in his eyes and says, go to this pool and wash. So imagine this man walking to a pool with mud on his face and his eyes. To this point, never seen Jesus, never even told that he will be healed by this. He must be believing Jesus has some power to do something for him. He's trusting in him. And as a result of the light in this man's life, he receives sight. His life is new. But he also is one who is sent, right? John's so helpful in this. The the first kind of sidebar, or parenthetical comment we get here is that Siloam means sent. And Jesus said in verse 4, he says, I'm here sent by God. Now Jesus sends the blind man to the pool, which means Sent. So this man is sent by the sent one to the pool, which means sent. What does all this mean? I think it's John's writing pointing us to that true disciples of Christ are ones who are sent. We are, as a Christian, sent ones. We're not just ones who receive and that's the end. But we're ones who receive sight and then we go bearing light, the light of Christ we proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so as a result of the light the blind man receives, he receives sight. But you would think, or you would think that this would bring great joy to those who know him, but not everyone is so pleased in his life. So let's turn now to our second point and let's look at the three responses to the light. The first one is the neighbors. Read with me verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how, are you, how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. These neighbors, many who had seen him, didn't even recognize him. He had had to tell them who he was. They, They even argued, like, this is him. No, this is not him. And he's right there speaking. Hey, that's me. It's me right here. Imagine how different he was. Because they're so skeptical that... They even had a hard time receiving even his own testimony that they asked him, well, how? How were your eyes opened? He said, well, this guy called Jesus. He's the one who made mud and put it on my eyes, and I went and washed like he told me to, and I received sight. These neighbors are so skeptical, right? They're questioning the man's identity, who is he, but then they also they're skeptical of his testimony, like, okay, well, yes, yeah, so there's no way you, the beggar man, have been given sight. There's no way your life has changed just like that. There's no way you're the same kid who was born blind, that we've known our whole life, the one who has begged for everything your entire life. It's like, was it, was it really that easy as they question him? Let's see the man, right? Where is he? Where's this man that you call Jesus? To which he can only respond, well, I, I don't know. He's not here. These neighbors are skeptical. And if it weren't enough that the very people who knew him didn't believe him, let's look now to verses 13 through 17 as we see the next response for the, from the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man's not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But the others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. So apparently this man receiving a sight has caused such a stir in the neighborhood that they decide, well, we've got to take him to our local religious leaders to find out what's their opinion to help us figure out what's going on with this guy. So they bring him to the Pharisees. And, and, and we see there that there's this combination that usually doesn't... Uh, It's not usually happy, right? It's the combination of the Pharisees and Jesus and the Sabbath. The combination of those three is almost always negative. There's controversy, conflict. And so even as you're reading this, I'll be, okay, well, what's about to go down? Something is going to happen. These Pharisees are upset that Jesus has made mud and healed someone. It's like, really, guys? Are you, you're worried about that? It's the Sabbath. But their concern is that Jesus has broken the oral law, that they've equated to the same as God's written law, as his scriptures that are given to us. So verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was division. They keep arguing whether or not Jesus is from God, seeking to pin him down as a sinner. They're arguing that the way Jesus healed, because of that, it means it's proof that he can't be the son of God. But they're adding these laws. And so these Pharisees are arguing about who Jesus is. And in their frustration, turn back to this man and question him again so I know you say he healed and he did it by making mud and oh yeah, it was on the Sabbath. So what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? To which the man says, well, he's a prophet. The Pharisees are trying to force him to make a decision. Whose side are you on? Are you on our side, the religious leaders? Are you on this man's side, Jesus? And he says, well, he's a prophet. The blind man seems to be keenly aware he can see where they're going with this so he says jesus is a prophet meaning that is he must be sent by god and theologian d.a carson says this may reflect a man in spiritual infancy but it's a step in the right direction and improvement over over his the man they call jesus confession just a few verses earlier the man's eyes are opening wider He is beginning to see more clearly while the eyes of his judges are becoming clouded over with blinding. God is using these questions, these piercing questions from these religious leaders in the life of this blind man. They are, in fact, doing the opposite of what they hope to do. They're actually strengthening his faith in Jesus as he takes one step closer to Christ. And at the same time, these Pharisees are taking another step further away, burying themselves in their own pride and selfishness. So we've seen the skeptical neighbors. We've seen these adamantly opposed Pharisees. Now let's turn to this third response, the parents of the blind man. Let's read verses 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received a sight until they called the parents of the man who had received a sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So these Pharisees seem to have united now, and they're struggling against this man, and so they bring in his parents. They're trying or having trouble to discredit Jesus so instead of trying to discredit Jesus now, they turn to trying to discredit the witness. They rehash everything again with this man's parents just to find maybe some weakness in the testimony, some weakness in this blind man and what he said. So they go to the parents. They ask him, What's, is this your, your son? Is he really born blind from birth? To which they say, well, He is our son, yes. He was, in fact, born blind. But that's all we're going to give you. That's all we can say, right? We're not willing to go anymore and say anything else about what you're trying to get us to say, which is, who is Jesus? So what would cause parents to respond like this? Right? This is their son who... They've been caring for day after day after day for his whole life, 25, maybe 30 years. He's old enough where they'd say, he can speak for himself, ask him. You would think these parents of all people in his life would rejoice that Christ has given their son sight. That Christ has given him a new life. But they're controlled by their fear. They won't testify fully, right? They say, well, he's our son. He was born blind. But we don't want to go any further because we're afraid that you might kick us out of the synagogue. Their thoughts are directed to, what is it going to cost me if I identify Jesus as the son of God, as sent from God himself? So they may even be thinking, well, we can't completely answer because it might cost us our community. The people we associate with with in the synagogue, in our church, it might even cost us financially. And for a second time, we see in verse 23, they say, he's of age, ask him, because they're afraid. So I wonder if there's some here, or maybe some even watching on the live stream, that you don't yet believe in Christ, that maybe you're like the the, the neighbor skeptics who who've seen people's lives utterly changed, and yet something inside of you, even though you are so compelled by the change that Jesus has brought in someone that you are just resisting. Let me urge you, quit resisting. Believe the truth of Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was raised from the grave. Believe that the evidence of changed lives all around you, just look at any of any of us or most of us here look at my life that's been changed upside down but then also maybe you don't know Christ and maybe instead of being skeptical you're opposed to Christ you've you've pushed against him and maybe even one of your complaints on why I will never believe in God is because there's difficulty and suffering there's evil in the world And you might even point to this man and say, well, here's proof, even in your own Bible. Well, perhaps today, perhaps the life of this man would convince you that physical health and circumstances, suffering, that we'd find ourselves just saying, well, maybe that's actually proof, not that there's not a God, but that there's proof that I need God. I need someone to rescue me from myself or maybe you don't yet believe in God and you are one of these fearful people like the parents who you've investigated Christ and you've learned about him and there's something that is appealing but it's just too much to say I'm willing to submit my life to him it's just going to cost me too much to say I'm a disciple and confess Christ as my Lord it's kind of scary what's that going to mean with my relationships the people I know to which I say, well, welcome to the family. Welcome to the life of a Christ follower because it's not easy in this world. But to be loved by Christ and to be hated by this world is no loss at all. You gain eternity. You gain Christ. And so would you, even if you are fearful of what it may cost you, turn to him and trust that there is eternal gain in Jesus? but then also for you who believe in Christ. Maybe you do find yourself skeptical. Maybe not of Jesus, but maybe you look at others. You look at God's work in someone else's life. Maybe you thumb through Facebook or Instagram and you see people that you once knew from high school and college that lived lives totally against him who now profess Christ. Are you skeptical of God's work in them? Are you skeptical that, man, I wonder if they're just faking it now? Instead, you should be blown away that by the grace of God, he not only saved them, but he saved even you. That he saved even me. And so those of us who profess Christ, instead of opposing the work of God and others, we should marvel at the glorious Savior who has saved us who's given us new life in Christ. But also maybe you you do believe in Christ and you find yourself in some ways fearful. Students, youth, going in high school, walking the halls in high school, or if you go off to college, there may be times where you're tempted to be fearful to profess Christ. You don't know what it might cost you. You might think, I'm going to be looked down on, but Jesus was. You might be scared because you'll be scoffed at, but remember that Jesus was. You might be afraid of losing a job and then you lose your home. And forget that Christ too had no place to lay his head during his earthly ministry. And so let us trust in our Savior. Even if trial and suffering comes our way because we belong to Him, it's an opportunity for every one of us to identify with Christ. It's an opportunity to claim Him, to suffer as if or as He did, to be made more into His image. So, these neighbors, the Pharisees, the parents, they all show us different ways we can respond to Christ, but it's not the only way that you can respond to Christ. Let's look now at this formerly blind man who received the light. We'll read verses 24 through the end of the chapter now. So for the second time, they called the man, that is the Pharisees called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know ...that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man... You were in utter sin. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment i came into this world that those who do not see, who do not see may see and those who see may become blind some of the pharisees near him heard these things and said to him are we also blind jesus said to him if you were blind you would have no guilt but now you say we see your guilt remains so imagine being this man right he's Blind from birth, probably felt different from everyone else in his life, like he never once even fit in. He could never have a normal job like you and I. He had to depend on the empathy and generosity of others for everything since he was a beggar. And then once he received sight, you would think that everyone in his life would be over the moon ecstatic for this man, but that's not what happens, right? The neighbors... They don't believe he's the same person. The Pharisees don't believe his testimony. And the parents won't even stick up for him. And now as the Pharisees approach him and come to him again and question him with even more piercing questions, what would you do in this situation? Not having ever probably fit in. They question him again and say, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. So they're essentially, they're they're not telling him, hey, praise God for what he's done in your life. They're saying something more like, hey, you need to own up to it, admit the truth that Jesus really is a sinner. But yet, this man who once was blind now can see, he stands up to them. He's not concerned, he's not fearful, he's not afraid to oppose these religious leaders, he's not afraid of what may come upon him. So he says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but I do know for sure that I was blind and now see. Right, these are the very words that you and I just sung in the last song. I was blind, but now I see. That's the testimony of every Christian who has ever lived. You were once in darkness, Blind to your own sin more than you ever even realized. Yet Christ, the light of the world, sought you out. And now we see. That's the good news of the gospel. And throughout this whole, th- whole journey, this whole text, we see this changing relationship with this man and Jesus. In verse 11, he, the, the man referred to Jesus as the man called Jesus. In verse 17, he called Jesus a prophet. In verse 25, he raises doubts about the accusation that Jesus is a sinner. And in verse 27, he calls himself a disciple of Christ. And you can even just hear the sarcasm of this response in the man as the Pharisees continue to question him. He says in verse 30, why is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this man, he's putting to silence these Pharisees, but instead of them listening and learning and seeing Jesus for who he is, they're incensed with anger and rage at this testimony that this man saying he is, in fact, God, that Jesus is from God. So as we observe this journey of faith in this formerly blind man, John's forcing us to answer the question, how will you respond to Jesus' gracious initiative. His initiative to seek you with the light of the gospel, that how will you respond? Will you respond in faith, or, or will you respond with rejecting him? Will you believe, or will you remain in your sin? So Jesus, he comes back to this man and asks him, do you believe? Do you trust in me, the Son of God? And, and you also have to remember, this is now the first time he's seeing Jesus. When Jesus comes back to him after he's already been questioned by his neighbors and the community and the Pharisees, and his parents aren't sticking up for him, finally he sees Jesus and confesses, I believe that you are the Son of God. And he responds with worship. He receives the light of Christ, the gospel Jesus, who changed he gives Christ the worship he's due. And so as we read, it seems so obvious to us that the only one who's rightly responding to Christ in this whole passage was the blind man. No one else seems to see Jesus for who he truly is. The one who was blind sees the truth. But the ones who saw Jesus were blinded by their selfish pride. So this this text, it forces us. We have to decide, what will you believe about Christ? Will you trust that Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world who can give spiritual sight? Will you hear the truth of Christ and experience the changed lives around you? And instead of responding with rejection or indifference... Will you receive him today? For he is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He's willing and able to save all who respond in faith. So let's go to him now. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that is good for us. Your word that reminds us of the truth of Christ, that he is the light of the world, that he extends the gospel to us and he wants us, instead of rejecting, opposing, being indifferent or fearful of him, what it means to be identified with him, we are to receive him. If there's any here who have heard your word that are in spiritual Darkness, would you give them eyes to see? And those who have received Christ already, would you help us to be ones who rejoice in the light that you have shown on us? And would you also help us to be ones who take the gospel to those who don't know you? Help us to rejoice in the work of God, bringing light to those who were once blind. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.